1: Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining and show street. will start your mornings off to on the, the right foot. Here's your host, street. Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone.
2: So the ghosts out in the hall, the paint peeling off the walls. Good night. Sometimes I...
3: Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Ron Clark, author of Move Your Bus: An Extraordinary New Approach to Accelerating Success in Work and Life. Ron is a New York Times best-selling author, sold over more than one million copies of his book The Essential Fifty Five. He was—he's uh, been on the Today Show, CNN, and Oprah, and Oprah. Winfrey named him her first phenomenal man. If you want to learn more about Ron Clark, you can go to ronclarkacademy.com. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Ron.
1: I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much.
3: Great to have you. Okay. Well, Stephen Covey says if you want to learn how to motivate those around you to run just a bit faster every day, or if you want to learn how to pick up the pace yourself, you must read this book. Okay. So you tell why must we read this book? You are an educator. You are also a businessman, and I guess you've been incorporated your skills in uh, in schools and motivating students, uh, and, or and you've taken that and. You're giving us the ability, I guess, to also motivate ourselves in the business world. So that's what the book is all about, Move Your Bus.
1: Yeah, I started actually as a school teacher, and the principles I used kind of transferred over into leadership as well. I started teaching in North Carolina. I taught there for five years. At the end of the fifth year, I had a lot of success, and I saw this TV show about schools in Harlem, in New York City, that had a lot of challenges, and it broke my heart. And I said, I'm going to go teach at that school. They can't get teachers to go teach there. So I went to New York City. I started teaching. I was eventually named as the American Teacher of the Year. And I got to be on the Oprah Winfrey Show, and Oprah told me I should write a book. So I wrote a book called The Essential 55, and it's about the 55 experts expectations my grandmother had for me. And it's kind of like 55 things we should expect of all children when we're raising them. When the book came out, Oprah profiled it on her show and the book was number one in the nation. It, it, It made a lot of money and the money all went into a foundation. We donated it because we wanted a dream to come true. And the dream was that we wanted to build a school where we modeled the example of what I do in my classroom in an entire school. So what we did was we found an old nasty factory in downtown Atlanta and we went around the country and we found the best educators, former National Teachers of the Year, and just really outstanding people to come to Atlanta and to all teach in the same building. So they're all in the same building. And what we do is we teach every day, and we teach with passion and innovation, but we open our doors. And we invite educators and people who work with kids from all over the country to come watch us in person and to see the best educators in the whole world teach. And so now we've had just under 30,000 people come. And the reason why most of them come is to see our leadership principles, which are profiled in the book, Move Your Bus.
3: Okay, so let's talk about some of those and move your bus. Sure. Uh, what are some of those, that we, some of those principles that you profile that we can, we can use when we, whether we're teaching our students or whether we're trying to be successful in business? What? Sure. Yeah, what are they?
1: Well, whether you are at a radio station, a corporation, a school, picture it like it's a bus. And the bus represents all the goals, everything that you want to achieve. Well, the problem is the bus has no gas, and so we've all had to kind of drop our feet, and we're going to move the bus as quickly as we can. Now, in every organization, you've got some runners, and the runners are flat killing it. They come early. They stay late. They're positive. They really want to make the whole organization better. They have good ideas, and they're the best workers there. Then you've got some joggers. Now, the joggers do okay. They do their job. They're not the best, but, but they do a decent job, and they're trying their best to keep up. But then you've got some walkers, and the walkers are kind of being pulled by the bus, and they're complaining, why are we going so fast? Slow down. Y'all are doing too much. The walkers want everyone to go slower because if everyone goes slower, what's going to happen is that they're not going to have to work as hard. And then you've got some riders, and the riders finally have picked up their feet, They're cross-legged, and they're just dead weight. They're making the rest of us move harder because they're not really contributing. And so I used to, as a leader, I looked at my school, and I would focus on those riders, as we tend to do as leaders. We'll say, you know what, we're going to get those riders to go faster. We're going to get those riders to drop their feet. And honestly, sometimes I could get the riders to drop their feet, and they would go a little bit faster, and they would start to walk. But I decided one day I didn't want my life's work to be about getting riders to walk because you're not really made much of a difference on anything. I wanted to find a way to make a bigger impact. So what I decided to do is I decided to put all my focus on my runners to encourage them, to get them the supplies they needed, to let them know they were validated, to give them freedom and autonomy. And when I put all my focus on my runners, the school became electric. The runners were impassioned and they felt validated. They worked so hard and the energy in the building, you could almost touch it. And so what happened is that that energy is how we truly were able to make a successful building because the runners felt like they were validated and they felt like they had the ability to make choices and they felt like their voices were heard.
3: All right, Ron, how did you do that specifically, though? Give us examples. Like, okay, you, you didn't focus on the ones who were dragging the bus down, but you focused on the ones who were kind of pulling ahead. Um, and I think that's true. I think schools spend a lot of money on a lot of those programs for kids who are, uh, have, you know, have a lot of problems, and yes, you need to do that, and then the others get lost and just just get lost, the ones who are really the superstars. So you take these, and I'm calling them superstars, maybe they're not necessarily that, but okay, the runners, how do you do that? What specifically do you do?
1: here are some things I did specifically. I sat down with my runners and I asked them to let me know all they were working on or, or another way to put it. I, let them, I told them to tell me, what's on your plate? What are you working on? And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to get someone to help you with this. This is a waste of your time. And they would say, oh, no, 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 no. I've got it because runners are very territorial and, and they're kinda they're control freaks. And I said, no, no, no. I'm going to get someone to help. This is a waste of your time. And so I found ways to adjust what they were doing. I got money for a conference. I decided to send my runners. Um, we got a whole class set of computers was donated to the school. I gave it to a runner who was working really hard. She deserved it. I got money to send five teachers to a conference. I said, my runners are going. There was a walker who met me by the coffee machine and she said, I see you're taking care of your favorites, Mr. Clark. I said, excuse me? She said, no, it's okay. I just, we noticed that you're sending your favorites to that conference. It's fine. It's just that we didn't even get an opportunity to go to that conference. We, nobody even asked us, and we didn't know we had a chance to go. I said, well, you didn't. I said, what, what makes you think you had a chance to go? And they said that they didn't think it was fair that everyone didn't have the same opportunity. And so what I do with my runners and my whole school is I let everyone know everyone is going to be treated fairly but not everyone's going to be treated equally. And that's a big mistake we make as leaders, that we tend to treat everyone at the organization the same, no matter how hard they're working. And what's going to happen is that if everyone is treated the same, what's going to happen is that your runners are going to start to run Um, less quickly because they're not going to feel valued or, or appreciated. And I like what you said about how this is kind of a microcosm of what happens in our education system because we don't focus on our gifted kids in America. We focus on everybody who's not achieving. Where does all of our money go? Title I, stimulus plan, no child left behind. We fund programs to help kids who are not achieving. We did not have one federally funded gifted program last year for gifted children in our country. China put almost $1 trillion into gifted programs for children. We didn't fund one. What we're doing in America is we're focused so much on the self-esteem of children that we're, we're, we're giving them hollow self-esteem. Parents are telling their children, oh, this is princess and this is king and, and he's gifted and she's special. And so these kids are learning, oh, I'm gifted, I'm special, so I don't really need to do anything because I'm already gifted and
3: special. How about so we're they not- give a prize to everybody who's on the team? I mean, just for being on the team, you get some kind of uh, medal, Just and, and you, you don't really reward the ones who win the race or who are number one, I mean, I think, and the, I, I, which is what you're talking about, or telling kids they can be anything they want to be, which is not true either.
1: It's not. You're setting your kids up for failure. And by giving every kid an award or everyone has to get something, what you're doing is you're teaching them to live in socialism and then it's capitalism. You know who should get the award, the MVP. And when the child says, "Well, didn't I didn't get an MVP, I didn't get an award," well, you ain't the MVP. You got to be the MVP. You have to be honest with kids sometime and say, "Well, you know, you didn't deserve it this time, but that's okay. Let's keep moving." What we tend to do is coddle them. Uh, I have this problem at, a, at our school where we'll have kids who'll have a birthday, and so the younger sibling they'll buy, they'll get a gift too because the, the parents don't want that child to to whine or to feel left out, and so it's coddling them. And if you look, I'm a history teacher. If you look all throughout History. What we have is these civilizations that rise to supremacy. You can look at the Romans or the British or whatever. Whenever they decline, there's one thing they had in common, and it doesn't deal with the military, the economy. It deals with the education system. When a civilization gets to a point where they feel they're at a a prominent level, they tend to make things easier easier for the youth. The kids don't have to work as hard. The brain trust isn't as challenged. And so what happens is that they're given so much that they don't learn to have a work ethic. If you look at our nation right now, we are 27th in the world in terms of education, and it's because we have a dumbed-down education system where the parents are running the show, and the parents are more concerned with their child being on the honor roll than really getting a good education.
3: Yeah. And you so also I, say, I just want to stop you a minute, Ron, because you talk about those who are jealous of these kids, are jealous of the parents, when the, are jealous of the gifted children. How do you get over that? Because I think that's an attitude we kind of have to work on so that we will get these parents, you know, t- to be able to understand, well, how... Your point of view, which I I happen to agree with. So how do you get over the jealousy factor?
1: Um, One thing, you have to learn to ignore it. And we cave so much in this society based on the feelings of others. We don't want to hurt others' feelings. We don't want to make another child um, I gave cookies one time and I only gave cookies to the kids who were working hard this mom was furious. She said that her child felt like she wasn't respected because she didn't get a cookie. She said you ruined her self-esteem. This child was very jealous of those who got cookies and you know I said you know what I was trying to teach her that you have to work hard to get a cookie because she's, she's bright but she's not working very hard but the mom didn't want to hear it. And so sometimes while we have have to just kind of stand our ground and explain ourselves and I was, I was fortunate the, the uh, parent actually came to the school furious and complained and I was fortunate that the principal actually supported me when I was younger and the principal said you know what he baked the cookies he has the right to give them to the kids who he feels deserve them but the mom was furious but sometimes we have to stand our ground because if we don't stand our ground if we keep caving to these parents who are complaining about every little thing and want to file every little lawsuit what's going to happen is that we're building just a coddled generation of children who feel entitled and they're going to end up 29 years old living at home with mama wondering why doesn't the world love me as much as my mom did when i was little
3: yeah well un, you know they want that unconditional love the same stuff that mama gave them but they want that in school and you certainly don't find that in the work environment obviously okay so but now we're talking about the runners but what about these joggers do they stand somewhere kind of in the middle um, who, who are they
1: it's funny. Joggers, one characteristic is that you know they, they do okay. They're not really a runner. They complain a little bit sometimes, and they're not really as focused on um, the whole. Runners, when they look at the school, they say or the business, they say, "I want to make this whole business great. I want to really contribute. I want to be part of something special." Joggers sometimes are a little bit more focused on individual attention, individual praise. Why didn't I get that raise? Why did she get it? But if you ask a jogger, most of them will tell you they're a runner. They'll say. Oh, I'm a runner at this organization, and um, I'll do book signings, and teachers will come up and say, hey, you know that story you told about that bus? I'm one of them runners, and I'll think, uh, eh, jogger, because runners don't really go around telling people they're a runner. They just run because they know it's the thing that they're supposed to do, and they want to be part of something great.
3: All right, so... So what do we do about the joggers? What one of the things I think that you say? Well, I I know I'm I'm getting kind of into the walkers. I want to stick with the joggers because I. It would seem to me that most, and I don't know if this is true in this in schools and in business, but most people are the joggers, the ones in the middle. Don't you have more joggers than anybody else? Probably they're the. Oh,
1: unfortunately. I think most people would say you got a lot of walkers. <laughs> they're, they're, doing just, they're doing just enough to get by, and they're not really as focused on really being a part of something special. And so in the book, I listed about 100 ways that a jogger can become a runner, things that you can do to contribute more, things you can do to help, to be positive. Um, some things are just simple. It's like being on time. You, you want to be on time, and you don't want to be late not only for work, but you want to be late for the meeting because of the meetings, at, the meetings at 2 o'clock I guarantee you the runners are sitting there at two o'clock ready to go and if you show up three minutes late what you're doing is you're saying I don't value the time of a runner if you're not going to run the last thing you want to do is to take time away from a runner and so when you get to that meeting and everyone's throwing around ideas what I see happen is that a lot of times the runners will say things like this hey I think we should da 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 and if a runner says that I'll say you know what let's give it a shot because I know the runners are going to be the ones who are going to give it down and they're going to do the work to make it happen. If you're a jogger and you want your your words to be respected and if you want to be heard and you want to um, um, receive validation, you have to not only give an idea, but you have to say, now I'm going to back it up and I'm going to do the work to make this idea come about. And you can't just complain about something if you're not going to then say, and I'm going to be part of the solution as well. So there are ways that we can, you know, just a simple thing. Runners tend to dress extremely professionally. When I worked in North Carolina. Teachers wore sweatpants to school. And then Friday was dress down day. I was like, how are we going to dress down from the sweatpants? I was like, this is crazy. But what I did was I was still working very hard, but I was kind of wearing my jeans because everyone else wore jeans. Then finally, I said, you know what, I want to step it up. I want to be more professional. I'm gonna wear a suit and tie every day. So once I got my first paycheck, I bought clothes I had a suit and tie every day. It's about small ways that you can contribute to be better, to uplift. But two people. things,
3: Ron. One, you uh, know that dressing up or dressing down. I've noticed, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm in, uh, in New York City. Um, one of the things is some of these, like these entrepreneurs, these you know, these young guys, these millennials in their 20s and stuff. They dress blue jeans and a t-shirt, and they're making multi-zillions of dollars. Now, is that a kind of a special group? I mean. They're not working for – they're sort of working for themselves kind of thing because um, that kind of belies a little bit what you're saying.
1: I would say this. If you are one of the point zero 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 one percent who were able to come out of college and to make one of those websites or apps and you ended up making a billion dollars, I think you've earned the right to wear whatever you want to wear. <laughs> For 99.999% of us, the working folks who are working in society, we have to still dress professionally. We still have to do these things because we're trying to compete and we're trying to contribute, and we don't have the luxury of having $10 million in our bank, so we need to make sure that we're doing our best at all times.
3: Another thing that you say is, and I think this is really important, accept criticism. People have such difficulty accepting criticism, whether it's in a school situation or when you get into business and they won't accept criticism and or responsibility for mistakes they made. And that's one of the things that you say, you know, or tell us before on the bus how to accelerate. So how do we do that? Yeah. How do we do it graciously?
1: This is, you know, we have this young generation, this 24 to 34-year-old. They don't want to take any criticism at all. They've always been told how great they are, so it's really hard. I'll say something to them like this. Hey, um, next time I think you would get more success if you said, to the parent this way, and they'll say, well, in my defense, no one's ever told me to say it that way before. It's always like they want to defend. Um, There was this one teacher who she wore a skirt, and it was really too short. So I said, you know, in our handbook, you know, we say the skirt needs to be, you know, only two inches from the knee. And she said, nope, that's the the student handbook. It's not the adult handbook I checked. The adult handbook says be professional and dress. And so they want to defend themselves. And what I found in my runners and a lot of my joggers is that they accept criticism well. When you're running on the bus, there's going to be problems and issues, and what you want to do is you want to fix them quickly. So if your administrator comes to you and says, hey, I really wish you would do it differently next time, all your administrator wants to hear is this got it, it won't happen again, or no problem, next time I'll, I'll handle it that way. They want to hear that you've heard them and that it won't happen again. And if you let them know that, you're going to have more success, and if you try to complain or defend yourself, it's not a, a jury hearing. It's just saying, hey, next time could you do it this way? So let them know that you're heard, and you're going to have um, more success that way.
3: Yeah. Another one that you talk about is realize you're not entitled to this job, and I think this whole issue of entitlement, and obviously you've touched on this, we have during the interview, but this whole generation of feeling entitled, how can you, you know, that's a whole attitude that's, I think, very difficult to change, and one you do address in the book.
1: Yeah, it's really hard, and it's just, um, it's hard for an administrator Administrators won't tell somebody, hey, you're not entitled to this job because then they'll be seen as the bad guy. So basically, what I'm doing is I'm saying it for them. I'm saying, listen, no one's promised you this job. You don't have to be employed here. You should be grateful to work here, and therefore you should work hard. How dare you come to an organization and complain and and, and moan and bicker and say how unhappy you are? You have a job, and that's something you should be grateful for. Yesterday, I was at Children's Health Care of Atlanta, and there are all these kids there and they're hooked up to these machines and they're having to pull these machines that can only move like two feet at a time and I felt so sorry for them but yet they were so positive but yet I see so many adults in society who are always complaining, finding the negative. Every school has problems. Every school has issues and every corporation you know, is not perfect and you can choose to either look at the good and be positive and say, you know what, here are good things about where I am, or you can look at the negative. But looking at the negative is not only going to hurt the organization, it's going to make you not be a very happy person. <laughs> so find a way to see the positive and focus on the goodness in the world around you.
3: Okay. Another thing you say, well, you talk about this is how to accelerate, get that bus moving, that's what we've been talking about, but there are also a couple or there are many more points that you make in the book, and the book is uh, Move Your Bus by Ron Clark. Um, how to map the route because there are different ways that you can map the route. I mean, the bus can take different twists and turns. So how do we do that? Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's as a leader making good decisions. As a leader, um, you're driving the bus, so you want to look and you want to make what, what are the best decisions for the organization. And I usually I tend to fall back on passion and, and setting the example. Um, one of the main problems we have in our society is that you've got people who would run, And who want to be a runner, but they're working for a boss that's a walker. And so it's really hard when you're trying to do more and the person who's, you know, above you doesn't even recognize how hard you're working because they really don't have interest in being better. And so I think one of the main things we can do when we plot our route and we drive the bus is that we have to set an example. We have to be the employees that we want to see. And I work my butt off. I teach all day and I run this school and I do it not only because I know it's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm trying to set an example for everyone else. This is how you're supposed to be. This is how we're supposed to work. This is the type of leadership that you should have.
3: I want to twist that around a bit because what if you are a runner and you get stuck or you've accepted a job where the, the boss is a walker, do you get out? Do you recognize that and just realize I shouldn't stay here and go on to next?
1: Yeah, I've... I've been in both situations, and um, basically what you can do is you can close your door and try to focus as much good energy as you can on your job and not let the the administrator pull you down, or you can go somewhere else, but life is too short. A lot of people will stay in a job and complain about it because they're not happy when, you know, really, if you're really not happy, go find somewhere else. But please do keep in mind, nowhere is perfect. Um, I, ha- I hired a first um, year teacher one time, and she came here, and then she saw there were all these problems, and she wasn't happy about some things. All my veteran teachers like this is the best school in the world. Are you crazy? But she thought things should be differently, so she left, and she went worked at another school for a year, another school for a year. She was at four schools in four years. Then she came back and apologized, and she said, "I was young, I was stupid, I did not know how great this was. I was just, I was focused on the negative." She wanted her job back, and I said, "No, of course." But um, <laughs> it's about realizing um, where you are and realizing that you may not be happy, but nowhere's going to be perfect. And you have to ask yourself, is this a place where I can stay or is this a place where I really is unhealthy for me to be here?
3: Yeah, and another thing you say, go right to the source when there, when there is a problem, and I think that's a lot of stuff that happens. You know, people don't do that. They complain. They complain to their fellow workers, whether it's a teacher or whether they're in a corporation, and they never really go to the source of the problem for some reason. I, I'm not sure exactly what the reasons are for each individual, but that's a real issue, and it creates not a good climate, whatever the the institution is. So. It's, I think that's really important. If you want to talk about that, if you have a problem, go on, you have to go to your boss or the team member, whoever it is. Really, really important.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's essential because as humans, we will naturally complain about things. I work with this one teacher. I call her a walker because she was always complaining about the principal. She hated her. She would say, "Did you see? Sleeping Beauty came in at ten a.m. this morning. We can't come in at ten a.m. Did you see? We're going to have to do extra carpool duties. We're being treated like slaves." So she always was complaining about everything, and she was just she was just so negative. And um, I realized that. I had to distance myself from her because her negativity was going to suck the life out of me. And whenever we would hire new teachers, um, she would go give them a Bundt cake. And she'd go and she'd say, I baked you a Bundt cake. I'm going to share my supplies with you. Because what she wanted to do was she wanted to create a posse of poison. She just wanted to get more people around her who would be negative and who would run at her speed. And so what happens is that it sucked the life out of the organization. So um, people will tend to be negative if you allow them to be negative. And honestly, when she complained to me I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I didn't say anything. She would say, oh, well, you know, duh, 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 and I would agree with her, and then I'd walk away. Now, I didn't like her very much, but I agreed with her because it was very uncomfortable to say, why are you being so negative? Or would you, would you stop complaining? I just couldn't do it. So as humans, we tend to allow people to be negative, but I learned something. Sometimes when people are negative, and sometimes maybe even I'm being negative, people will agree with you and listen to you, but they don't like you very much. And people don't want to be around someone who's so negative. So I learned the importance of if it's something negative, go straight to the problem, try to find a way to, to go to the source, or not to say anything at all. My first year here as an administrator, I complained a lot because it was a hard job. And my staff would say, well, how are you doing? i say, well, things are horrible, and the, the, the um, board members are giving me problems, and the seventh graders have been disrespectful, and I had diarrhea. I complained about everything. And what I found is that when I complained about everything, my st- Staff started to complain about everything. So I learned quickly, we've got to set an example where we stop complaining and we start focusing on what's right. And you'll be happier, you'll be healthier, you'll feel better about yourself. Don't spread negativity. Yes, it's there, but that doesn't mean you have to point it out all the time.
3: Great advice. Move Your Bus, an extraordinary new approach to accelerating success in work and life. Ron Clark, great to have you on the show today, and obviously there's a lot more to learn how to accelerate and how to map the route when you are on the bus, and you can go to ronclarkacademy.com for more information. So thanks so much for... Thank you. uh, Yeah, sharing with us today. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs. And now, we have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. This problem continues to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, and through our children. Get the answers from The Mickey Ellison Show, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety.
0: Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as the show is often hosted by national experts in the fields of leadership, teamwork, management, corporate responsibility, accounting, governance, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be more trustworthy. Your hosts are trusted professionals with years of experience in applying strategies with today's leading organizations. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety.
1: You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788.
3: We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Liz Lowy. She's She and I are going to be talking about 10 Tips to Prevent Elder Financial Exploitation. Uh, Liz is currently General Counsel and Senior Vice President of Industry Relations at Eversafe. And before coming to Eversafe, Liz was Chief of the Elder Abuse Unit in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, where she oversaw the investigation and prosecution of approximately 800 elder abuse cases annually. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning.
2: Nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
3: Well, apparently, billions of dollars in life savings are lost each year due to the financial exploitation of older adults, and perpetrators include scammers, professional caregivers, unethical businesses, and family members. And I understand, I'm sure, with with the growing population, it's getting worse and worse. I mean, we have, I don't know how many people we have over the age of 65 right now, with the baby boomers turning 65 every day, but, I mean, millions of baby boomers. So, um, we've got a big problem here, right? And... uh, these scammers that,
2: have access. That's correct. Yeah, that's so. right. I mean, uh, ten thousand Americans turn sixty-five every day. Um, about seventy percent of personal wealth in this country is held by seniors. So uh, all of this is good that people are living longer. People like to hear that folks are living longer, but there's no uh, cure out there to uh, dementias like Alzheimer's disease. And in fact, one in three. Um, seniors die with a, a form of dementia, so it's really um, a perfect storm for elder fraud and elder identity theft. Uh, even if
3: we don't have dementia, or even if you don't have some kind of or, or Alzheimer's, even just the process of aging, I think, leaves one more vulnerable, just the natural process of aging, doesn't
2: it? and, 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 yes. and old, Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and there's no bell that goes off when you have sort of lost the capacity to handle your finances. In fact, um, the, the little bit of research that's been done out there suggests that you start losing a little bit of what they call financial capacity way earlier than one would think. It's actually in your mid fifties. I'm, I'm depressed to report. <laughs> so, I, I think it's important to realize that it's great that folks are living longer. We're all hopefully staying active physically and engaging ourselves mentally, too. But you're right. I mean, just natural age-related difficulty can present a real challenge for seniors in handling their finances. All right, so what do we do? Let's
3: first, I guess, define the problem. What are these scammers and these people, uh, professional caregivers even, obviously? I mean, I, I have examples in my own life of friends who have had professional caregivers for their parents, and they find out they've been stealing their jewelry, they've been stealing, you know, their their China, I mean, I can, you know, all of those kinds of things. Some people that you trust, okay, that's right on site. But then there's also the, the ones who are scammers on the phone or on, on the Internet, so, So what do they do? How do they do it? And then what are some of the tips for preventing some of this or, you know,
2: so that this doesn't happen? Well, you're right. There's all different types of scams out there and they affect not only older people, but younger adults also. And you named some of them. A lot of them come in over the phone. Um, There's a pretty well-known scam that affects grandparents where someone calls pretending to be a grandchild. It actually happened to my dad, who's almost 90, pretending there was a car accident. And, you know, I hit a woman, but she's going to live. Please don't tell mom, but I need money to get out of jail. And, you know, being a prosecutor for 30 years, I'd educated my dad, but he still almost fell for it. And I've gotten emails that I thought looked really legitimate. So there's Wait, your scam. Dad almost
3: fell, but your dad almost fell for it? Cause, you know, this he is,
2: did. How, what, what you did not he fall for it? I mean, how, what, what held him back? I mean, how, what happened? Well, I think the reason he didn't fall for it is because I have, you know, as someone who has been in law enforcement, I have talked about the different scams out there, not just that scam, but the IRS scam where they say, you owe money, please send us a check, or you've won a sweepstakes in the mall. I mean, there are hundreds of scams out there. And I think the fact that I had talked to him about my work and talked to him about the scams that are out there, where folks actually focused on the elderly, I think at first he almost fell for it and then remembered what I had said. So, of course didn't send any money. So I think education, and I talk about that in the 10 tips from Eversafe, is super important, is just to repeatedly talk to uh, your parents or other older loved ones about all the different scams that are out there and what to do and what not to do. You made a very good point, Catherine. You talked about loved ones and professional caregivers. Um, you might be surprised to know that the number one uh, group of uh, financial abusers happens to be family members, and, and uh, in-home caregivers, which is depressing but true. So it's important to realize that it's not just the scams out there, but that those folks who are close to you who we rely on sometimes those, they can get greedy, they have access, and they can do things that are unauthorized. And when you take money and it's unauthorized, that can equal a larceny. So it so can be an inside, in, just remember, it can I'm be sorry? an inside job, an inside job. Sure. It can be
3: family, somebody who purports to be a friend, or even neighbors I've heard of, like, I, I mean, I, I have a friend who's uh, a parent who has, has since died, but there was a neighbor across the street selling his mother all kinds of, like, soy products, saying that it would help her to get younger, and she was very vulnerable to this and spent hundreds of dollars on this. But the neighbor would come over and help her clean her house and get groceries, and, uh, she She trusted her.
2: Yep. Um, Financial abuse is a crime of of greed and opportunity. And we don't want to be ageist and suggest that all folks who are getting older have vulnerability or problems, but it is true that as we get older and older, and especially as you reach a ripe old age, you do become a little more vulnerable to... um, you know, physical challenges and cognitive challenges that also may make you prey to to exploiters. What about so on the net? A, what about on what's the that, net, Liz? Because I know on the
3: net, I mean, I know my own kids will help me out with that, and there's stuff that comes up all the time that, you know, you, there are logos that look like your, your Visa card uh, company or your American Express company or AOL, and they are just, fishing or they are, I mean, they're really, you know, it's hard sometimes to tell the difference. Uh, Somehow my boys will always say to me, can't you see? I mean, it's so obvious, but sometimes it's not so obvious for those of us who have not grown up on the internet with this kind of stuff.
2: I agree, and again, it's not just seniors. I, I got an email that looked very much like it was from the Department of Justice a few weeks ago, and I have, I've done some work with them. And it had the right address, and it had, it had the right names. I think the most important thing if you're shopping online is to be extremely careful, and if you feel like you're not sure, have help from a trusted other. Get help from a close family member that you trust. Get help from a few family members. Check to see... Um, not only if the logo is there, but if the email address looks correct, and be very, see if, uh, there's, uh, if it's verified, if it's secure, and be very, very careful about any information that you provide online. But as we say at Eversafe, it's really important to have a family discussion and to get family members that you trust, or an attorney, or a POA, a power of attorney, or an accountant, if you don't have kids, to get involved in monitoring finances because. If you see erratic activity on that account, um, obviously you can do something at the first sign of uh, fraud and exploitation. That's the most important thing.
3: Okay, so you have to have multiple trusted advocates, and that's one way of reassuring or helping to to assure that, you know, this uh, fraud won't happen to you as an elder adult. But So multiple trusted advocates, I think, is what you're talking about. But something else, transparency is critical, that's what you say, and is a deterrent in and of itself, and I think that's really true, too, transparency. I mean, transparency how? Let's say you have all these advisors or you have your lawyer, your friend, your accountant, and... How does the transparency fit into
2: that? Well, I think from my work as a prosecutor for, you know, overseeing an elder abuse unit for 20 years, I saw so many cases where seniors, because it was an elder abuse unit, had lost so much money, sometimes their life savings, and their advocates, their trusted advocates, which usually happens to be a child that comes with parents has, you know, I've seen tears in my office and great remorse that they hadn't been, not aggressive, but a little more involved in saying, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, let me help you. Just take a look at your bank accounts, your investment accounts, your credit card activity, and, of course, credit reports for ID tests. And the more people you have involved in keeping an eye on things, and, Catherine, I'm not talking about having access to money and being able to move money, because sometimes if you try to get, account statements from a big bank, they'll say, we can't send them to you. You look like a nice daughter, but there are secrecy regulations. But just keeping an eye on erratic activity without having access to the funds or being able to move funds can be really, really helpful because it's hard when you get a bunch of different envelopes during the month to open them up the day you get them. Most people have more than one bank account. They might have a bank account, an investment account, a couple of credit cards. So a monitoring service, technology. Um, can be really helpful in keeping an eye on the account. As far as transparency goes, the more people who keep an eye on the alerts, the safer you are. And so let's say there was a child or a caregiver or someone who was thinking about exploiting. If they know that you have a technology service, keeping an eye on erratic activity, they're going to be less likely to do something uh, untoward or even criminal. And so we suggest if there's a couple of kids, don't just put one kid on getting alerts for erratic activity. Put a couple of kids on, or all of your kids, or a child, and an attorney, or a POA.
3: Try I think you to to have to talk about, you know, activity. Liz, you have to talk about this because I think one of the issues with elder parents is that they want to maintain their autonomy and their independence, and they view handling their own finances and privacy, especially with the generation maybe above us. Uh, so they do, they're reluctant to like share information with their kids, let alone two or three of their kids, and they feel like their sort of their privacy is being invaded. So I think that's a conversation that has to be had amongst the family members.
2: I totally I totally agree, and it's about privacy. It's also about autonomy. So. People who exploit seniors often try to isolate them. They know the senior wants to age in place at home, and they may say, hey, I'm the only one you've got. You've got to rely on me. And, you know, maybe there's a fear of going to a nursing home, and then they start to exploit. But but you're right. It's not just um, it's not just autonomy. It's privacy, and when uh, EverSafe, for instance, um, thought about that concern, there's actually a box that can be checked so that trusted advocates that are designated by the senior uh, are added to receive alerts. There's a box there saying, do you want that advocate to see balances? And you can check no, which I think was awfully sensitive to do to seniors who may not want to share how much money they have. They may just want to have someone be an extra set of eyes on the activity. Yeah, well, and that's so point. I, I I think agree. that's an
3: excellent point and it is sensitive to I think the it has you know the emotions and the attitudes of, of, of the seniors. Um, One of the things also, and I think a lot of seniors get into this with their children and or loved ones who are the closest to them, and you say be cautious about operating with joint accounts, that can be a really sticky issue.
2: No, that's what the big banks often do. Um, You know, I'm I'm not going to pick on big banks, but the truth is they, they are all subject to banks the Bank Secrecy Act and to regulations which make it impossible for them to send account statements to a child, even if it's a trusted child um, and someone who's responsible and trustworthy. They are, by law, not authorized to share account statements or to share information. And so often a bank will say the only way I can do this is if your dad puts you on the account as well. Well, so, I don't advise that because you're talking about privacy and I mentioned autonomy if someone is a joint account holder by law that makes them a joint owner which means that account could be subject to withdrawals from anyone who is a joint owner So in in theory, a daughter or a son that's added as a joint account holder or a caregiver could go and withdraw all the funds tomorrow without permission of the original account holder. So I I think that having a technology service where you can have some privacy and just receive alerts as to erratic activity is the way to go. Technology is the way to go. Um, And so, you know, you're right, joint accounts can be subject to liens, there can be tax consequences. I see them fraught with all kinds of difficulties. All right. technology is the way to
3: go, but that's another issue. I think with seniors, particularly older ones, maybe over seventy-five, or, and that's a growing population. Like they are leery of technology, don't understand it. So, let's say you bring up, you know, a, a suggestion uh, whether it's Ever Safe or another company uh, to protect to help protect a person's life savings. they uh, they kind of. I, Tend to not back away from that because technology is seen as kind of like this kind of evil demon out there for our senior seniors.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. Technology sometimes is seen as the big demon out there, and we hear a lot about breaches. And so it's good to be cautious about technology. I can only tell you from the cases I saw in the DA's office, I had far more cases involving exploitation that was criminal with people who did not have online banking, who I had one case where someone threw out a deposit ticket at the bank, and so the exploiters, uh, we believe, picked up the deposit ticket, even though it was ripped up and put together information. Um, other issues associated with um, various different ex- cases of exploitation or larceny that happened when the senior or other adult didn't have online banking. Um, seniors often like to check out on their money, which is a great thing, and sometimes they go to the bank a couple times a week or a couple times a day. Online banking allows them to do it ten times a day um, if they wish. But I, I agree Um, Being online can be somewhat daunting, which is why we enable the trusted advocate to help sign up the senior, a power of attorney, or a guardian or conservator can sign up a senior to help them and get alerts. Um, This is an online banking service. We don't keep any of the account information. Um, They don't ever see the account information, uh, the technology folks. So I I just think it's safer than what we call brick-and-mortar banking. So, I think that a lot of seniors are online too. You'd be surprised. um, Yeah, no, and I think that's changing.
3: Yeah, the population is changing. We're only evolving.
2: You
3: know, in another 10 years, there won't probably, there will not be a group of seniors who don't know how to use. I mean, exactly. technology, right? And they, it's a great thing. To, yeah, and they're used to relying on it. So, no, but, it, I mean, have we covered all the different types of scammers, though? I mean, uh, I'm from uh, familiar, for instance, for that IRS thing, but um, I'm finding myself I'm getting calls daily for – I kind of have a rule of thumb, and because this doesn't apply just to se- to seniors, but it applies just, as you say, Fifty and over, uh, maybe they 're seniors too, but um, just uh, i don 't <laughs> not going to do your anything ARP on the card early <laughs> <laughs> right exactly. I think maybe one of the things you say if you get information let 's say on the phone, always call the people. Back or get a number, never respond if someone's calling you and don't give them any kind of information, even if you think it is legit, like you need to hang up and then if you want to pursue it, then you should be the one to either look at it online and see, you know, who these people are before you actually respond in any way on the phone, let's say.
2: Exactly right. I mean, you should only give money or send checks to an, in, in entities that you have approached first. And, you know, I think there are some folks out there, um, older adults and younger adults, who think that, you know, charities would never do this. Like uh, uh, someone, uh, uh, a group that has the word police in it would never do this. And, or I'm I'm being contacted about a breach. So... Maybe I need to do this to keep my account secure. You really should only give information to an entity that you have approached first. If you have any doubt, get off the phone and find the official number for that entity and call it to make sure that it's legitimate because often it's not. So even if you get an email from, uh, I'm picking on PayPal here because this has happened to me, there was the PayPal graphic, and I thought, oh, okay, I've got PayPal, I'm going to start filling in information. Here I am, a prosecutor, but then I thought, wait a minute, this might not be legit, I haven't approached them first. You know, and I made the call to the official number of PayPal, but it's important to be very careful online. Yeah, and, and, and these scammers are
3: very well, they they know the words that are going to frighten you. Uh, anyone, I think, at any age, I mean, it's like you just mentioned, the police, this is the sheriff's department, and you know, and once you hear that, you're like, oh my gosh, what did I do? And the IRS, and they,
2: oh, I'm, yeah. those
3: are powerful. The IRS
2: is big around tax time. They're, they hit you April, May, and June. They're very, Scammers are really good at knowing when to do this, and as you say, they're very sophisticated.
3: Well, how do you, as a prosecutor, this is a little bit of a different question, we only have a couple minutes left probably, but, um, like, how do you go after these people? Where are they? Are they big groups of people? I mean, are they big businesses? Are they individuals? I mean, where, you know, who
2: are they? Yeah, it's really difficult, and and of course, I'm not a prosecutor anymore, Um, although sometimes working with with Eversafe, you know, I, I deal with the same issues, but they're very tough cases, um, the cases that we're talking about now with scammers <clears throat> often have many different layers. And so, when we investigated these cases um, from the Manhattan DA's office, we would often find that there were a few middlemen who really didn't have full knowledge, or at least that that's what they alleged. They didn't have full knowledge about the scam. They were being paid to pick up an envelope, and then there were other layers. And then often the case ended up being um, originating in in, a, in another country. You know, there. Uh, what, what we believe are boiler rooms, and in you know Canada, Nigeria, Jamaica, where the where the crimes were originating. So they're very tough cases to to uh, prosecute, but they should be reported. Um, you know they should be reported either to a local prosecutor's office or to the feds, because sometimes we can get them, and if they're not reported, then then prosecutors can can never get them. Of course, now I left that, that field to get at this um, from the prevention angle because I honestly think that, you know, if people would just um, get this information and, and be able to shut it down at its source at that first transaction, which may not, Catherine, be a huge transaction. There, there won't be a – start small. There's no wire transfer to Jamaica that happens first for $10,000 often there are these little transactions because the exploiters test. They, there might be a, a, a transaction that's a dollar or three dollars and that's when it's important to have you know, as many trusted advocates looking at that as, as possible. Um, at at Eversafe we have alerts that have been developed by aging professionals and uh, identity theft experts and people um, who have had experience um, investigating elder abuse so the rules uh, the alerts, I should say, are a little different than the alerts that are um, they come through at other financial institutions, banks, and credit card companies. We're really based on things that happen to seniors, and so I think it's most important with these scams to just get it at its source and to quickly shut it down before a lifetime of savings is gone.
3: Yeah, uh, I think that's an important point, and just one to leave you with, because or leave our audience with, because we, we only have a minute left. But is that uh, if you kind of nip it in the bud, in the sense, because I think seniors, once it gets too far, they themselves are too embarrassed even to say something if they feel they've been scammed, because then they they feel like that they, you know, that uh, they're embarrassed by it. They feel like it, right. So they, they don't, feel don't feel say like anything. Right,
2: they feel like you. Know, they feel like it's a sign of weakness. So it's a sign of weakness. I don't I want it to happen it. to me. Yeah, you're right. And with family, it's even harder because. they I feel as though, you know, first of all, I have to rely on this person or I'll have to go off to a home or somehow I'm responsible for this because it's my son or daughter. Um, So it, it is really tough. You're right. Yeah. So we can, uh, it,
3: we've been talking to uh, Liz Lowy and uh, 10 tips to, uh, maybe we've talked about more than 10 tips, but 10 tips to prevent <laughs> elder financial exploitation. But if you want to learn more about it and uh, more about Eversafe, you could go to eversafe.com and uh, any other website that we should or uh, we could go to. I think there was one you can go to a government agency you mentioned if you uh, that uh, gives you some tips, common scams on its website. The National Council on Aging, that's another uh, website that uh, listeners can go to for more information about all of this this scamming. Uh, Thanks so much for being on the show this morning, Liz. Thanks for having me. It was great to have you. I'm Catherine. We're going to have to say goodbye. Uh, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday.